The most significant offseason in a decade has come to a close for the Seattle Seahawks, leaving them on the doorstep of a brand new era. The Athletics' Michael Sean Dugar joins us as Seattle prepares to face Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos at the advent of the 2022 season. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my peculiar producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling great. That's the best uh, That's the best compliment that you've given me thus far, man. Um, feeling excited, <laughs> ready, for, ready for football to start. Very ready for football to start. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. I mean, we did it. Long offseason, one that started with peak tumult, has leveled out a little bit over the last few months. That's given both you and I the opportunity to work, travel a bit, spend time with the family. But now we throw all of that in the trash for five months because it's football season, baby. Well, you know, I'm trash and I'm your family now, buddy. So hit the nail on the head. <laughs> ready, to, ready to get this train rolling again. Yes, sir. We are knocking on the door of what promises to be a fulcrum season in the history of the Seahawks franchise. And I can't think of many people better to discuss that with than the gentleman joining us today. Fans of this show will remember him from his triumphant appearance in the Cigar Lounge last season. And if you missed that episode, there's no doubt in my mind you're familiar with his work for The Athletic. And as the host of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast and the host of The Hype for KJR Radio, he is one of the sharpest, most insightful members of a talented Seahawks beat. Michael Sean Dugar, welcome back, man. What up? What up? How's it going? Great, man. Appreciate you taking the time. And listen, I mean, we appreciate it. We know that it's nuts for you right now. Uh, and we can't wait to dive into the myriad repercussions of the Seattle playing his first post-Russell Wilson game against Russell Wilson. But before we get to that, I want to get your feel on how the offseason has gone since the trade to end all trades went down. I mean, that's a crazy way to start it. And then things have kind of seemed to level out. But I imagine much different feeling in that building. Yeah, the uh, it's kind of funny, the, the oh, oh, the energy's great around here and um you know there's a new vibe you know it's it's so funny hearing it not that i think that guys are making it up but it's like it's such a subtle it's like a high school type of environment it feels really petty because you know they're not saying that because Dwayne brown's gone <laughs> you know like <laughs> nobody's saying there's a new vibe because because bobby's in la right uh-huh, or dj reads uh-huh. in new york you know those are very important players you know to the team you know and in some cases i just named three dudes who are in their captains in their position group uh, you know, even yep. Carlos Dunlap mattered uh, too, but like that part of it has always been, I've been chuckling about that for months, you know, guys. Um, <laughs> and I, I also think that it's really funny to consider that in the context of, as you guys know, there's a lot of discourse about how much money you save when you don't have a franchise QB and you can use that money to like build uh, around other pieces, you know, you have a QB on a rookie deal, you know, you can, you can basically buy a contender, which is not necessarily true, but it's it's kind of a popular sentiment. They kind of like didn't save any money on the rest trade because the dead cap hit and Shelby Harris's contract. And so and taking on two other guys, it basically just like broke even, uh, which was kind of that, interesting. That's just to, that's just for this year though, right? Like I mean financially this move is about twenty three, you know, two thousand twenty three and beyond. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. They have a ton of cap space after this, but like for this year, they pretty much broke yeah, even, yeah. Um, which is hilarious to to think about as well. You kind of see where my humor is. Um, there's also <laughs> yeah. another 
Uh, if you guys remember from the Pete Carroll and John Schneider conference press conference when they first got rid of uh, Russ, um, John made some remark. He was referencing a conversation with Jody Allen. He was like, "Yeah, you know, Jody kind of told us, you know, you guys are right back in your wheelhouse. John, you with having a lot of picks, and and Pete with uh, getting a younger uh, team. You know, that's that's kind of how we did it the first time. I was like, wow, man, like everyone's really just like." the biggest problem was Russ. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm, I, I am glad that you brought that up because that's kind of the thing that we've danced around with this story, right? Is okay. Yeah, it's different, but we haven't heard a lot from the players who have been there with Russ now talking about, you know, the difference you're, you're around these guys. And I know you and I chatted a lot after the trade happened, but tell us what your sense has been with the players who were there before and who are still there now. You said it's got kind of like a petty high school vibe. Tell us what you mean by that. Um, I think and I don't think I don't think anyone any of the young, none of the young guys mean that in a petty way. I think that's more of an organization thing. Like Daryl Taylor is not being okay. petty, right? When he says the energy's new. Um you yeah, know, yeah. I, I just think he he feels that way. Um but you do get the sense that no one's like longing no one's sulking. No one's like longing for the days that Russ is roaming the halls again. You know, like you talk to Tyler and it's like, yeah, Russ is gone. All right, let's move on. You know, uh, DK, same way. You know, I think I asked DK like, hey, you know, you lost Bobby, you lost Russ, and you still have championship aspirations. He's like, I mean, those were great players, but there was always 10 other dudes on the field with them, you know, so we didn't lose everybody. Uh, and that's come, saying a lot from, from DK who, you know, he adores a guy like Bobby. Um, even as, as irrelevant as he can feel it to the grand scheme, Nick Ballore has been around for a little bit. He's like, yeah, you know, we lost, lost Russ. <laughs> Let's go out there and keep winning. You know, you talk to Andre <laughs> Diggs, who, who, who resigned, you know, and it's not because all these guys think Geno's an all pro. It's just like Pete Carroll has found guys who believe that, look, one dude was not why we were getting all this done. Um, mm-hmm. which, some of that's maybe some on the record stuff. Some of that's maybe a little delusion, you know, because we're not that far away from Pete Carroll saying after a loss, I think it was to the Saints. He was like, you know, I've been here for a long time. Wouldn't have been here that long if, if we didn't have Russ. Um, now it's just like, ah, we can do this without him. Um, so I, I, I do think beyond all those that kind of feel like a little petty from the organization standpoint, I do think that genuinely a lot of guys – do feel like there's something to the effect of being young and hungry and having yeah. new superstars. It's almost like that scene in Coach Carter when he kicks the uh, he kicks the two dudes out in the, at the beginning of the movie. He kicks the two dudes out of the gym who won't sign the contract. Uh, and one dude's yep. like, yo, Coach, those are our leading scorers and from last season. And Coach Carter's like, well, I guess we'll have new leading scorers this year. And it's like, <laughs> that that is kind of, you can tell everyone else has kind of embraced that, whether this guy's on defense um, whether it's guys on offense, uh, it's just everyone just kind of feels like, all right, this is Cody's time. All right, this is DT's time. All right, this is Geno's time. All right, this is so-and-so's time to shine. Sure, no one outside the building kind of knows how nice they are, but we're about to show them how nice a Sidney Jones is or a Artie Burns right. or whatever. Like I do think they genuinely feel that independent of you know how anyone feels about Russell. Yeah, you know – it almost feels like there's more room in the building now for some of these guys than there was before. Like Russ seemed to take up so much space for, for better and and worse, you know? And I feel like there's room for some guys to spread their wings now that maybe wasn't there before. 
which is true. I just at the same time though, like I don't think I would love to talk to some of our Patriots guys and see if like everyone thought the vibe was all happy and go lucky when Brady left. It probably wasn't. They were probably like, dang, yeah. we just lost the goat. You know? Uh yep. this this feels this feels less like every team LeBron leaves when he leaves. This feels more like like a almost like a weight's been lifted, which is so weird because Russ was very well liked yeah. in the building. There were guys who liked him and voted yeah. him as captain and coaches who would talk highly of him and hang out with his family and go to Bible study or have Bible study with him. And, you know, like there were guys who had genuine connections right. with him. But now that he's gone, I don't know, maybe it's a concerted effort, but it, you definitely don't feel like, oh, woe is the Seahawks. You know, not that you know, I'd be able to feel yeah. that if it was that it wouldn't have to be overt to me. I'd be able to just smell right. it, you know, like and I. I don't. No, it feels no, genuine sure. in that, like, you know, like, you know, Russ was great, but we got this, you know? Yeah. And and I wonder how much of it, too, is like feeling like the parents are fighting, right? Like the kids feeling the tension between the coach and, and the quarterback, because it was obvious that it was there. Right. And, uh, you know, everyone's putting on the good face for for the team and, and getting out there to, you know, make it happen and, and feel good and all that. But I, I got to think the guys knew. I mean, you, you talked about it on this show last year, middle of the season, uh, that the tension was palpable between how Pete wanted to win football games and how Russ wanted to win football games. Yeah, and I think the more I think about it even now, um, I don't necessarily have anything to report on this, but something that stands out is how they were, how Russ looked when he came back, you know? Like, I think mm-hmm. I think that's important too, because it just kind of, and then how they then looked to end the season and the role that everyone else played in that, the defense, the run game, the offensive line. It was like, if, if anyone was torn between hmm, who is right, Peter Russ, like the last like month of the season, maybe two months, uh, we're kind of like, ah, this gray hair dude might be on to something um, in terms uh-huh. of like the run game and the defense um, and special teams, which was good last year, pretty consistently special teams was. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who specifically that would influence in terms of which players or anything, but the more I think about it like that, if you if you had to choose a side in the Pete Russ uh, Civil War, then that that could easily help sway you in Pete's favor, which that probably has something to do do with it. I'm I'm sure you know guys knew what was going on. They knew guys who were there for let Russ cook and were there for after that. Like they know there was a tug of war going on internally. I know the numbers yeah. didn't always reflect it, um, and I think that's really important to keep hammering because I know. That even like like Brady Henderson has the story at ESPN that just dropped, uh, that kind of talks about them Pete uh, Pete killing let Russ cook and it's like you'll see that the numbers don't necessarily reflect how much they were running the ball uh, after he killed it, but I think that we assume that you look at Seattle's you know neutral passing numbers and assume oh Pete's cool with that it's like no Russ gets to call the plays at the line like there's some there's some authority that he has and. Pete keeps firing coordinators who throw it a lot. So uh, it's not just like, oh, look, they ran it a lot. Pete's, or they threw it a lot. Pete's cool with that. It's like, nah, man, he keeps firing everybody who who, who throws it a lot. And then he just, yeah. then he just traded the guy who, throw, who, who was doing the throwing. So um, I think uh, everyone here, at least for now, until, until they start losing some games, is bought into, all right, Pete says this is how we're going to win football games. Well, damn it, that's, that's how we're going to do it. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because – uh, I, I was really vocal prior to the trade about like, okay, it's looking more and more clear that these two are not going to coexist for the length of another contract. So which side do you choose? And I was pretty adamant about go with the quarterback over, over the coach in this situation. 
And I think the way everything has played out since, uh, I've, I've pivoted on that a little bit. Because if you are going to go the rebuild route, Pete seems like the guy to do it, right? To create the buy-in, to build a system, motivate young players, and and to have a team that maybe top to bottom isn't as talented as a lot of the teams they're going to play, uh, he's going to get them up for that. You know, they, I was so impressed with how they played those last two games last year after they had been eliminated from the playoffs. They treated them like playoff games, and, and they played excellent football. And you're right. I think, I think it showed that, hey, you can still win this way, the way that we won in 2013. Yeah, I do think I'm still on the, the, the rust side of things just because mm-hmm. I might have said this here before. The idea that, like, even what Jody said to, to Pete and John, like, hey, you guys are back in your wheelhouse – like I think that's a bunch of bull. Like in the like, <laughs> they've had draft picks before, you know. It's not, yeah. Um, even even um, I think in Brady's story, he had someone in the front office to kind of point out, like, hey, look, we paid Bobby, we paid, we paid uh paid uh, Russell, we paid KJ, we paid Cam, we paid Earl. Like you know, we didn't get back to the core of the competition uh, part of it because we had guys who deserved to get paid and did. And I'm like, ah, okay, but. Then you get to draft for all those other spots you didn't pay. Um, and I think that, that that had nothing to do with, like, you could have plenty of competition at right corner if you pay Sherman as, like, the highest paid guy in the league, you know, and, and you didn't. You did things like pay Kerry Williams and and uh, had a year with Shed there, a year with Jay Lane. Then you find Shaq, you know, like, in 2017. So I just, that's where I'm – the reason I was, like, on the rust side of things because I felt like I had already seen what I needed to see from the front office side, like, the drafts from 2013 to about 2019, that's a lot of drafts. Most of them were bad. Um, and it, yes, it wasn't were. like 2021, they didn't have that many picks. So it's like, all right, whatever. It's three three player sample. The rest of them, like, look at the 2019 draft now. It was not a good draft. It was not a good draft. 2017 draft, you get saved by Chris Carson and David Moore pretty much um, because of the value they brought in the seventh. But 2015 draft was eh. Um, 2016 draft was a nightmare. Uh, 2013 draft was probably the worst Pete and John have had, you know, and those had nothing to do with who you were paying at the time. Like drafting well is independent of, um, you know, who's taking up certain percentage of the salary cap, right? Just because your quarterback makes a gazillion dollars doesn't mean you need to draft Gary Jennings, you know, like th- those two t- right. those two things don't mesh with me. So for me, I, I can see why you pivot uh, because like you can win. You can definitely win the way Pete's trying to do it. I just think, trying to do it um, with this particular quarterback and without an all-world defense, which is what you usually see when teams win that way, that's that's tough. And he's trying to tell me they can do it this year, and I don't think anybody believes <laughs> that they can do that. Yeah, yeah. And I hope the people listening aren't hearing what I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not like, oh, yeah, Gino and Drew Locke, baby, we're, we're locked, ready to go. Seahawks are, are contenders again. Uh, I, I do appreciate that. If you're going to go the route where you get rid of Russ, that Pete seems like the guy to, you know, set the foundation, build the house for the next quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not expecting great things uh, this year necessarily. You know, this season's going to be a little bit more of, uh, all right, probably this team's probably not going to be super competitive in 2022. But when they are competitive again, hopefully in 2023 or 2024, who among the guys that are on this team right now are still going to be there? Kind of like how 2010 and 2011 were. And uh, so, you know, it's it's just going to shift how I watch the games a little bit. 
Yeah, I do think they'll be competitive in some games. Like I don't I don't see a ton where they'll get blown out. Like that that Bucks game could be ugly. Um one of those division games is like bound to be ugly, probably against the Rams, because most of Pete's ugliest games have been against McVeigh. Like he's he kicked Pete's ass oh, in a way that him, yeah, man. that that no one else, not not even Bruce Arians or like Jeff Fisher would beat Pete, but he never embarrassed him, you know, like McVeigh has has given Pete some thirty point losses. <laughs> that's pretty great. Twenty five point, thirty oh, no. point. That's pretty pretty nuts. I do think they'll be they will they will be competitive, and I do agree that if you are going to rebuild, like Pete's culture is that. I just don't know if the personnel side. I think the drafting is so important. I I maybe I overvalue it, just because I feel like it's one of those again one of those variables that just it's independent of everything else. Like if you have a good player, if you see a good player, you draft him. And he's cheap, and he's there for four years, and he changes your, your, your franchise. Yeah, it's it's so important. There's the reason the Ravens win ten to thirteen games every single year. They ain't they haven't paid a quarterback in a long time. Yeah, since Flacco, I think. Yeah, yeah. since Flacco's last. And they big deal, and they've been drafting you know? I mean, pretty well too. Pittsburgh has drafted that's, pretty that's well. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Baltimore, Baltimore every year is just like they take a guy, and you're like, yeah. That's who they should have taken. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, <laughs> they're Pittsburgh not trying to like too, outguess yeah. themselves. Uh huh. Yeah, it's yeah another another great example. Yeah, there's. I will say, yeah, Pete's Pete's a culture guy, and that is really hard to find. Like, I just actually reread uh, "Win Forever," um, his, uh, Pete's book from 2010. Like, yep, the foundational stuff in there is like it all makes sense. You know, which how you win, how you talk to your players, being doing things the best that they've ever been done the positive messaging all the opt i'm like yeah this is great this is great stuff you know until you just feel terrible o-lines for about five years in a row and i'm like well (laughs) something needs to change with the the implement uh how you're implementing this philosophy the philosophy is not uh flawed at all i don't think there's plenty of coaches who hear pete's like yeah we're gonna run the ball play defense have good special teams and we're gonna keep the ball away from our opponent all 31 other head coaches are like, well, yeah, hell yeah, you know, but they all just have their <laughs> mm-hmm. their twist on it and they're doing things a little better in the personnel uh, side of things. I think if nothing else, I just think that we probably are getting to a point where the coach also has the personnel control thing is probably going to die. Like uh, yeah. a- after this, I think I think I think Matt Rule has that now in Carolina and Rivera has it right now in in Washington. And I think that that might be it. And after that. It's probably it's probably gonna die off, and that ain't going well for either. Of those yeah, neither of those things are going well, like <laughs> o- over there. And even Belichick is a terrible GM to me. Um, yes, he is. Belichick the G- Belichick the coach has been saving Belichick the GM's ass for quite some time. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of how you mentioned LeBron earlier. That's kind of how I feel about him. LeBron the player has been saving LeBron the LeBron GM's the GM ass. is terrible. LeBron's a terrible, <laughs> terrible GM. man, terrible Great player. And I'm a Bron guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it really is incredible that after all of that, Wilson's first game with his new team happens to be in Seattle. I mean, it's it's wild. We've talked about it before, but I am curious what you expect the reaction to be from the fans. Um, I, do, I think that Russell, Russell probably gets some booze. Um, I do think it'll there'll be two opportunities, really, because uh, it's hard to – he has been to a game. It's hard to boo one player because when they get announced they come yes. out as, as a team it's like what the guy says oh now announcing the denver broncos and they all run out of the tunnels how you know you're booing one guy um but since russell's a captain um you have potential to boo him during the coin toss um which i'm sure he'll come out there with the other four captains and then um if the whenever the broncos get the ball first 
when Russ runs from the huddle yeah. to the, or excuse me, from the sideline to the huddle, that'll probably be an opportunity because it'll be very clear that like, oh, okay, Russell Wilson's coming on to the field. Um, and you know what? I get it. I get booing him. You know why? Because he's on the other team. I don't think that's ever a. I don't really boo anyone when I go to a game. Uh, mostly, I only time I go to games as fans is like Storm games, Mariners, or uh, Coo games uh, in Pullman. But in any in any event, I don't really boo anybody. But I understand booing anyone on the other team. Doesn't really matter what they did sure. for you because they are sure. actively trying to make sure your team loses. And just as a principle, right. you can boo the person on the on the other team. I just thought it was tacky for them to do it during the Sue Bird tribute, but. Yeah, I I would anticipate he gets booed uh, on on Monday yeah. night. On top of that, it's a night game and it's the first game, so you're getting a lot of people who are just drunk out of their mind uh, and just see Russell and just start booing. Yeah, it's it's absolutely going to happen. And you know, I'd like to think it's going to be eighty percent cheers. If I was if I was there, I'm definitely tipping my hat and and saying thank you for you know the last ten years, the best ten years of Seahawks football ever. He obviously played a major role in that, but I I keep thinking back to. Well, in, in my lifetime, I think the two biggest star returns to Seattle, which was Alex Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. And the receptions couldn't have been any more different, right? A-Rod comes back. They're throwing fake money at him. They're booing. I mean, they're having to call time in the game to let the booing die down. And then Griffey comes back, and it is just a huge love fest, even though Griffey, who I adore, is the one that forced his way out of Seattle. Like, I mean, right. straight up forced his way out. And I wonder how much of that is one. I mean, I think Griffey was, was just more beloved than A-Rod anyway. Um, but I also wonder how much of it had to do with the timing. Like, Alex Rodriguez went to the Rangers, same division. He was playing in Seattle in the first month of that next season. Griffey, it was like eight years <laughs> later before interleague play brought him back to Seattle, right? Like the wounds had healed a little bit. And so I, I almost feel like the timing of this, uh, not, not that Russ really went out of his way to make a bunch of friends on his way out, but I also feel like this is the first game. Like it's still fresh. It's like you break up with someone you've been with for a long time. And the first date you go on, they're there with their new fling at the table right next to you, you know, whereas you see them years down the road and it's, it's a different, kind of story so uh, to me i think the booing has as much to do with the timeline proximity as it does with russ himself and it's not really there's no consensus on why russ left i uh mm -hmm. i th this is not necessarily the greatest sample for this but i was uh i was a guest speaker a career day at a uh elementary school and i forget russ must have already been gone so this must have been like april or may or something and i remember i was asking the kids um why they thought russ left and their answers were great i, I tweeted some of them i can't find the tweet right now they were they were on point you could, these guys must subscribe to the athletic or something like these guys were on it and they're like i think it was the fourth grade class i spoke to third grade fourth grade and fifth grade but there really is no consensus it just really depends on where you get your news from because i would imagine that if you're like someone like my grandma uh, she watches everything from TV. So TV is usually, you see Russ, you see Pete, right? You look at them and you see what they say. It's not a lot of anonymous sources in the TV game. You don't really read between the lines on press conferences. You just take Russ at face yeah. value or take Pete at face value. Whereas if you're like reading me or reading Jason Jenks or even reading Brady's story that just dropped, you read between the lines and or if you're on Twitter. So there's not really a consensus. Sure. Well, like I know why Russ is gone, but do 68,000 people have a general idea why on Monday night in Lumenfield? Probably, probably not. They just know Russ is gone. And again, you you add overpriced beer into the equation. It's like, all right, 
boo, you know, go Hawks. So you're saying the fourth grade presence on Seahawks Twitter is imposing really, really <laughs> intense stuff. Yo, them kids were all, oh man, my internet's really spotty where I'm at right now. I'd find my tweets. Those kids, one of them was like, he, his pass protection was bad or it was like, it was, it was crazy. He, he, uh, these, these nine-year-olds, these nine-year-olds were, were on it. Uh, I hope at the, when they're at the game, they're going to boo. Those nine-year-olds are for sure going to boo because they understand. <laughs> that You know, that bodes well for the future of Seahawks fans, though. You got a bunch of fourth graders just dialed in. Well, man, the Seahawks do enter this game against the Broncos the way they're going to enter a lot of the contests this season. We kind of talked about a little bit earlier, but they are underdogs. Right now, Denver is favored by six and a half points on most sports betting books, and the Broncos even covering that is one of the most popular bets in Vegas right now. What chance do you give this Seahawks team of covering that spread and what chance do you think they have of actually winning the game? Uh, I don't really give them a ton of chance to win the game. I just think that having Russ is still very good to me. Like that's, that's a mm -hmm. part that um, is kind of like been a subplot and all this is how good is Russ at this point, you know, um, cause Denver is like, Oh, he's the greatest thing ever. And a lot of people in Seattle are like, eh, I don't know, man, <laughs> we saw that Packers game. Um, which it, the answer is somewhere in the middle. For me, I'm like, when Russ is healthy, I've never seen him be bad at quarterback. Never. Like, no one can act to, can, can say that, like, consistently. He's never been bad. Like, 2016, he wasn't great because uh, he had the sprained MCL. And then last year, when he came back from the uh, broken finger, he was just he was just trash. Um, finger heals up in December, and he's he's himself again. Uh, so, totally. yeah, the, the the Rams game was still kind of ugly that year, or when he came back. But, again, like we talked about, McVay kicks – kicks Russ and Pete's ass pretty consistently. So that that's not really a, a big part of the sample for me. So I think Denver should win this game uh, pretty convincingly. However, I think when you're when it's the other team's Super Bowl, um, everything's mm -hmm. out the window. It's kind of like a rivalry game um, in college. And it's like, yeah, sure, Bama's a lot. Well, uh, Bama's a bad example. But it's like, yeah, sure, <laughs> uh, you know, USC is a lot better than UCLA in any given year. But, like, if UCLA is up for that rivalry, it might take a game-winning field goal. So Denver should win the game. Uh, I really don't have many doubts about that. I actually would try to take the Seahawks to cover, even though I'm hashtag team never gamble. Um, but I think, yeah, I would take the Seahawks to cover. This is, just seems like a, a Pete Carroll team that's going to be scrappy all year, man. I think a lot of their games are going to start to look like how they looked in November. If you look at some of those losses they had when Russ was back, they – even the Packers game ended up losing by 17, but it was 3 nothing going into the fourth, um, I want to say. Yep. Um, the Washington game wasn't pretty, and what do you know, they end up losing by like two. Um, th they're just going to be a scrappy team that can, with a good defense, where the defense will be good, they're going to be able to stay in games. Yeah, I think it's going to look a lot like the Geno games last year, which were yeah. low scoring. First team to score three times is going to win. And I think Pete is going to want to shorten the game, try and keep each team to as few possessions as possible to increase the variance on each possession. And I think I'm with you. I don't think Seattle wins this game. Like if I'm, if I'm betting meaningful money on it, I'm taking Denver to win it, but I would put that same money on Seattle to cover. I think they get within a touchdown on this one just because of the vibes like you're talking about. I mean, there's, there's just so much to football that doesn't fit in a spreadsheet and i think all of that's going to be going on on monday night yeah it, and beyond just the the part of this game i've been really trying to because i'm a nerd right so i love like epa and um 
and all this yep. the advanced metrics and everything um so but i've also tried to make sure i'm not leaning too much into that still watching a bunch of film and still talking to the players about the stuff that goes beyond that like mm-hmm. there is it's particularly in the run game man like i i still am on the like the the other end of like the kind of running backs don't matter don't pay the guys type of thing because the tread on the tires wears pretty quick quicker than most positions but yep. like man when you talk to linemen you talk to defensive linemen there is a psychological advantage to um getting your ass kicked in the run game versus that's just not there in the passing game there really is just not and i, I get it you you're if you're averaging seven yards an attempt versus four yards to carry you're more likely to score throwing it i i get it like it, the math makes sense to me but like you ask every team's three technique defensive tackle and you're like nah man let them throw it because boy i'm not trying to get just moved by the left guard in the center you know every snap you know so i i just think that 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 part of it is only so much that it does matter but like all of that stuff is it's is so is so important man and just at, at corner there's 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 so much mental stuff that goes on at corner um because those guys they take pride in covering right but if they have to tackle it changes everything right like wearing wearing defensive backs down by making them have to tackle is a huge part of the game and those dbs are like 195 pounds you know if they got to tackle chris carson over and over again on a bunch of outside zone plays that shit is hard <laughs> you know or yes. tackle rashad penny Rashad penny's 232 man like most of these dbs are like a buck 95 205 so uh not just with this game i think i i think everyone should try to read more from the players and coaches about the actual effects of the game that go beyond anything that we can quantify. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that, you know, uh, going back to what you were saying about the hidden effects of running versus passing. I mean, look, the juice is different when you're running the ball. Like you, you complete a 15 yard pass, the sidelines clapping, you get a 15 yard run sideline is hooting and hollering, right? Cause you probably ran over a couple guys to get there or made someone miss or whatever. You complete a 15 yard out. It's like, okay, that's what we were supposed to do. Right. Clap point first down, get back in the huddle. But you know, I, I always think about Thomas Rawls, right. And just how, how geeked the sidelines would get whenever Thomas Rawls got a first down because he was, he was mowing dude. Same thing, obviously with Marshawn, Chris Carson, right. It's just a different juice level. So, uh, you know, I, I think Seattle's going to need all of that happen on Monday. But if the Seahawks do pull off the upset and they beat Denver Monday night, how will they have done it? Oh, that's a good one. I'm actually, I probably will write this this weekend. Um, I think that there's two real ways to really make Russ struggle, and that's to force him to take what you're giving him. You know, because he's he's really impatient in that way. Um, like if you if you sit in those two high looks forever, I um, mean, you're having some success. He'll eventually make a mistake. That's kind of what the Rams kind of decided when they switched up their defense a little bit a few years back. They're like, look, we're going to just too high the hell out of this dude, and they're going to have to run it here. They're, we're we're going to make sure he just can't throw goal balls on us, which is what happened when they had Marcus Peters, the Rams did. Eventually, Mark uh, Rush just cooked him uh, for, for a big touchdown. They're like, nope, too high it is. He's going to have to either throw it right in the middle of the field or run it down our throats and um, – Eventually, he gets impatient and patient and starts trying to take those chances, holds the ball a little longer, really wants the big play. And when you got a pass rush, I mean, he dies. He's totally. I mean, Russ, listen, man, I, I think Russ is still true football player. I think healthy Russ is a top five, top six quarterback in this league. I think he's excellent. That boy wants an MVP. Oh, bad, bad. Like, he, 
like, he wants to win a certain way for sure. Yes, he does. Yeah. And he wants an MVP and he's, he's not going to do it by checking down and taking what the defense gives him. No, I think you're exactly it, right and about that. that. So that's one way um, to get to him. That's worked in the past. I mean, Mike Zimmer's probably kicking himself like, man, I, I kept doing that to this guy and somehow we kept losing. Uh, like, <laughs> although they eventually won that, won that last one. Um, against Russ and them because Zimmer was playing him like that straight up um, and having some success for years and years and years. You look at some of the games that Russ threw for a lot of yards against the Vikings, a lot of busted coverages uh, in there. It wasn't just because he dinked and dunked his way to beating the Vikings and Mike Zimmer's kind of scheme. The other way is to, um, and the Cardinals are currently good at this, is show Russ something pre-snap and give him something totally different after the snap. Uh, and I think that, I think the Cardinals kicked his ass that way last year and then bragged about it. Um, in the Colt McCoy game <laughs> and you look at the third down numbers and you can see it, you know, like you sh- show two and go to three, show, t- show three and go to seven or cover seven. Like there's, there's a lot of ways to make the picture really muddy. Um, and like Russ is a veteran. He's still seen all this stuff, but it's, it's tough, uh, particularly on obvious passing downs because like usually on those downs, when you have a guy like a Devonte Adams, Stephon Dick, DK Metcalf, the ball is designed to go there first and if you you know, and if you're Russ and you lock in on a guy like, all right, cool, they're bracketing DK. All right, now where do I go? Oh shit, I'm getting hit in the face. So I think that um those two things, Seattle can do those really well, I think, with this this new scheme. I do think they're gonna have both uh on offense and defense, Seattle's gonna have some some issues just with communications and chemistry and getting things right because they didn't get those preseason reps. You know, like Jamal didn't play at all, Quandre didn't play at all. Sidney Jones didn't play at all in the preseason. DK barely played. Like, you're just going to get some hiccups, guys running the wrong route, seeing the wrong thing, hearing the wrong coverage. Stuff like that happens. But to beat Russ on defense in particular, I think, you muddy that picture uh, after the snap and you force him to just have to take what you give him, you know, on like five 80-yard drives in a row, like he'll, he'll eventually make a mistake. What a cool test for Clint Hurt with this new defense and Sean Desai, right? Because the talk is that they are going to be a little bit more dynamic and, and hopefully, I mean, the impression I'm getting is they're planning on disguising some more looks and moving some guys around. I mean, just what a, what a cool opportunity to do that. I feel like, I feel like Russ is the most high variance opposing quarterback you can have. If you're going to try and disguise coverages, because if you get it right, you can really have a great defensive game. But if you don't, Russ going to make it hurt. Yeah, there's some – I was actually watching uh, – I was looking for something else, looking for a specific play, and it brought me back to the the Packers game where he had thrown like four picks or something down in Green Bay. I think it was 2016. And I got to, got me looking at some of his like lowest passer rating games. He's had some games where he's stumped. Like seriously. Yeah, yep. Vikings have – he has like two uh, Packers. He has a couple if you include the NFC Championship game too, just where he was just throwing the ball to the other team left and right um i uh i was i was looking for i'm not going to do a story on this anymore so i'll share you guys remember when sherm had said something like yeah i know russ is a great player but i've also seen him throw four or five picks in a game um i was working on something tied to that but i'm not anymore so that's what i was looking for russ's worst games and yeah no he's he's had some ones you're like dude who is who is this guy like he's he's this is not this is not russell and if you go look at those games they have a theme they were either really creative on their third down packages where they're getting him to mess up the protection or whatever or they were just like dude we're about to sit you're not going to throw it deep on us you're going to have to hit it over the middle or dink and dunk um or 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 else we kill you um and i think it does help 
that Seattle has no screen game at all, which is another way to defeat that. And Seattle might be the worst screen team I've ever seen. But now looking at them this year, I really yeah. don't think that was a rust thing because <laughs> they're still <laughs> they're still not good at screens. It's kind of crazy. It's the weirdest thing, man. It is the weirdest thing. They cannot run a screen that looks anything halfway professional. I don't get it. Nope. 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 The, the only the, the best screen I think I've seen was the one Rashad Penny blew his knee on in 2019 down in LA. Like, yeah. Cause he was in over. Oh, exactly if you go watch, if you go about. watch the play again, he is Penny's got nothing but grass in front of him. Plants wrong. Season basically that season and the next season are over. But yeah, now it, it, it's so weird. Last year was such a weird thing in that regard that they could not run screens nor could they defend screens. They were like the worst team in the league in both <laughs> for like two months. Yeah. Like this is this is insane. And it's it's such a maddening thing to watch too, right? Because a screen is something that if you're watching the game on TV, you see it right away. You see that they're doing it. And it's just like yelling screen at the TV. doesn't matter. Nope. And then the Seahawks do it and you're like, uh, is this thing ever going to develop? <laughs> Never worked. They were, I think they were the worst screen team. Every version. Russ threw a pick six on a screen. Like he did. That, in the playoffs. He that's did, really hard to uh, no. do, man. That's like, very difficult to yeah, do. Yeah, that, that's tough. Well, I want to I wanna look past this game a little bit towards the rest of the season with you. And after all the time that you've spent with this team this offseason, whether it's practices, OTAs, preseason games, et cetera, when you look at this team as a whole, which part of the roster stands out to you as a strength and which areas worry you the most? Uh, I think the interior line is really solid. I think that Shelby Harris, Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet, that is, that is, that's a unit right there that is mm -hmm. that that is mm -hmm. a squad like it's going to be very hard to run the ball on that as long as joe jordan brooks and cody barton do their parts and their fits run fits they should they should be fine there that's one of those uh areas that I, like i think bobby wagner is still very good i think like bobby wagner even if he's quote unquote lost a step is still better than like all but like seven linebackers in the league to be inside linebackers that is um, and I think he played a major role in why they were like the second best team in like yards per carry allowed or something like that, them and the Saints. I think they still stay there large part because you have to damn near triple team Al, man. Like he's just such a big dude. He's so athletic. He's so he's so good. Puna Ford is so good. Shelby's really good um, as well. And they brought back Quentin Jefferson, uh, a, move, a move I like as well. So I think just up front, I think they're uh, better on the – they're just really good on the interior. Um, I think the whole D-line in, in particular would be a little better. I just think the personnel fits last year. It was really hard to write about the pass rush knowing how frustrated Carlos Dunlap and Benson Mayo were with having to basically be outside linebackers when they had spent a decade in the NFL not doing that. Um, and eventually Carlos basically said it in a press conference, and I was like, whew, cool. Now I can write that he's frustrated because I had known that for like two months. You know? It was like you don't want to just create tension – um, where it's not necessary. You gotta pick your spots. Like I easily could have just written like, oh, Carlos to them as frustrated according to sources and it just wouldn't have done anything for me. Um No, nah, it's yeah. still a relationship business, yeah, right? Yeah. You got you pick, every you day, pick your spots week. a little bit. Um and they had bigger problems than that as well. So yeah. than just Carlos. So <laughs> yeah. that especially when Russ got hurt, it was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it just didn't fit. It was square peg, round hole, man. I think the 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 the, the image that people can really remember is Benson Mayoa Garden, Najee Harris on the goal line. You know, it's just like, that's not Benson's fault. Benson's not doing that. Benson didn't make the team as an undrafted free agent in 2013 because he can guard Najee Harris. He got it because he can get to Big Ben. And I think now with uh, with Daryl Taylor and Uchenna and Wasu, um, I think that 
their personnel fits it way better. Um, I don't even think a scheme needed to change. They just you, sometimes it just has to has to fit. So that's where I, I think I think I see a strength there. I think the defense should be should be okay. I'm a little worried about Cody, um, Cody Barton. Um, like, cause if I think he, yeah, he could see a lot of snaps this year. Yeah, and I just think that if he was, it was one of those where like, I know you need to see him play, but like you did see him play. Like he has a few starts, and if you go back and watch him, even Cody would tell you like he wasn't great against the Dolphins in 2020. wasn't great against the Vikings in 2020. Like, so I'm a little worried there, and um, you can tell that the Seahawks kind of see what I'm seeing because they've been using a package that has just Jordan on the field, and then like. Jamal next to him as a linebacker, and then like Josh Jones uh, playing safety next to Quandre. So like using Jamal as their weak side linebacker or um, just the inside guy next to Jordan. Uh, so I'm a little worried about Cody in that regard. But the the uh, that's the strength. I'm still I'm always gonna be worried about Seattle's O line. That's just always gonna be my thing as a weakness. I really don't think it's actually gonna be that much better than last year. Because Dwayne was fine the back half of last year. Like, if you just... He he knew what was wrong that first half. He was bad. Like, oh, boy, I got some cut-ups in my computer right now. It's like, Dwayne's washed. And then you go watch the back half of the season. You're like, nah, there he is. There's there's Pro Bowl Dwayne. Yeah. There, there he is. So, yeah. if... And I imagine Charles Cross will probably, like, be that average. You know what I mean? Like, the middle ground between Dwayne first half and Dwayne la- a second half of last season. Abe Lucas and Brandon Shell probably a wash um this year d lou will probably be hurt to start the year so you get phil haynes i'm not sure about austin Blythe. um he just hasn't played a lot of ball since 2020 um and i I think gabe jackson's fine so yeah i'm always worried about the o-line man because i think that's the other part of where i get skeptical of pete and his scheme and like the teams that have done that really well that have played the have done the run thing defense special teams their offensive line was freaking nasty you know, go go look at the yeah. teams that have oh, yeah. that have done that with some success. They've had nasty O line, so I'm a little little worried there. I think the ceiling for that group is pretty high, like in a year or so. But this mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. playing the AFC West and the NFC West, which is freaking brutal for pass rushers on, on, on those squads, I'm a little worried about the O line. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about that a little bit. We've we've talked on this show a fair amount about how the left tackle is is oftentimes the baddest dude in the locker room right like you need to send out a champion to win a fight you're sending out Dwayne Brown you're sending out Trent Williams right like these these are those dudes there's huge shoes to fill for someone like Charles Cross and and I think we all understand that the talent is there but having watched someone like Dwayne Brown who the consummate professional how ready does Charles Cross look and for that matter Abe Lucas to step in and be starting tackles. Neither one of them looks like they can't handle like an NFL, like a legit NFL competition, particularly in the run game. Mm-hmm. Like Charles seems like he's gonna be fine. You know, like I watched, went back and watched some his some of his snaps against uh, Robert Quinn in the uh, the Bears preseason game. I was like, oh yeah, he'll he's he's just such a good athlete and he can just recover so well. Um, he's prepared. This one snap against I think it's the Steelers. This guy, I don't forget who the lineman is, but he tries like three moves on Charles. He tries to go inside, then outside, then inside. Gino ends up taking a sack. Oh, that's what it is. It's, it's the first sack Gino takes um, in the Steelers game. It's like, yeah, the sack was all Gino's fault because, boy, Charles gave him time. Abe, um, he looks like that as well, but he did have some snaps there where it's like, uh-oh. 
are guys going to be able to just bull rush you? Because that that's an issue. Because um, he had a few of those, um, particularly with Drew Locke at quarterback, where it looks like Drew threw a shitty pass, and you go back and look it's like, no, Abe stepped on his foot. That's why he couldn't step into the throw, because Abe got pushed back into the quarterback. Um, and that's against third and fourth stringers. Yeah. It's the worst way to get beat, too, because even if you get beat inside or outside, at least the quarterback has the opportunity to recognize that and and circle out of that one way or the other, or uh, running back and come in and chip. But if you let your man go right through you, yeah, there's nothing that, that can be done tough. about that. And yeah, and it, he just has a straight line to your quarterback. And like you said, there's no way to recover. So I'm a little worried about Abe there because, I mean, look, at just the AFC West and the NFC West, that's what, 10 of their games? Yeah, 10 of their 17 games is, is those two divisions. All those teams have good pass rushers, man. It's like they have veteran pass rushers for the most part. Guys that'll stare at Abe Lucas's film and see it way better than I'm seeing it. Stare at Charles's film and see that one little thing Charles is maybe doing wrong um, and, and exploit that, man. So I, I think they, they should, like I said, the ceiling is high. I think both of those guys are going to be starters who command second contracts, which is a good kind of way to view uh, linemen. They will be just like, still. There's gonna be some times, man. Like, whew, you're gonna go, you're gonna get a Chandler Jones or a Max Crosby or a, a Leonard Floyd or whoever, man. Yeah. There's just there's just studs uh, in this game, man. And the oh, thing about linemen is one bad play and you had a bad game. That's it. That's it, man. It's it's crazy. It's it's like being a cornerback or a referee. It's like yeah, you know, the less the less you're noticed, the better you're doing, and. You know, it's totally that way. I I see it as something where I could see by, like, mid-November, they're looking real yeah. good. And you start to feel really excited. But I'm I'm essentially assuming the first eight to ten games, there's there's just going to be some heat on the quarterback. And and I'm, I'm committed to not passing too much judgment, especially on these rookies early on, knowing that if they can survive this schedule in their first year – and come out of the back half of the season looking good and feeling good and playing confidently, they're going to be fine as pros. Yeah, and, and some of it is the mistakes. What mistakes are they making and are they recurring? You know, that's that's the yes. big thing for, for rookies. Like, like I mentioned with Abe, if he's just getting bull rushed all goddamn day, it's like, all right, no, you should be fixing <laughs> that, you know? And there's technique stuff to clean up <laughs> yeah. at every position. But, like, uh, you know, same thing with Tariq Willen when he's out there, man. Like, if he keeps getting beat on the same type of release over and over, then I'll just think he's just he just doesn't got it. Or the coaches stink because they should go, they should they should go fix that. And that's everybody. That's quarterbacks. That's running backs reading the wrong hole. You know, uh, 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 reading reading the center wrong or the guard or whatever the run calls for. Like you, rookies are gonna make mistakes, but the good rookies they make them, and then they all right. That's it. Coach goes and corrects it, and they they stop doing that. Um, same receivers. Um, like where the where some receivers drop the ball really early in their career, like Jamar Chase last year just couldn't catch in the preseason, right? Like people forget that seems like forever ago because he's nice now, but like there was, it was he really was dropping everything um, in the preseason. Everything, yeah, man. He, he was bad. like having to give press conferences about how there's not stripes on the ball. Like he could tell he was just like it didn't make any sense that he like the greatest receiver prospect since Julio Jones, like just can't do the most basic part of his job, which is catch football. Right. So he's like searching. And now he's got to answer to, you know, NFL media about why he can't do this. very. Simple and then he, thing. but then he fixed and it's, But yeah. And then lights came on and it's just like, Oh yeah, he actually might become the best receiver on the planet. Yeah, And that, and that's what, <laughs> so, that's what you want to see from all the rookies in the class is all right, you're going to, you're gonna make some mistakes. Um, you're gonna mess up. 
the one thing you just for the for the receivers and the running backs, I just don't want to see a fumble or drop the ball like that. Those are mistakes you just shouldn't make because you've been doing that part of the game forever. Like, yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, well, and I, I think those are the things that can absolutely destroy a young player's confidence too. Because you fumble, a lot of coaches, that's it, that's one and done. You're getting pulled. I'm not putting the ball back in your hands, right? So you're a young running back trying to make, uh, you know, you're Ken Walker, and you're trying to make an impression. And you maybe are reaching for an extra yard instead of just going down and you lose that ball. Well, all of a sudden, if it's just Rashad's game for the rest of the way, you know, that that can really kill the the confidence of young players trying to show that that he can't do it. So I'm I'm with you there. I think ball security, I mean, no surprise, ball security is the most important thing in football. But I, I think it's especially true for rookie playmakers. Yeah. I do feel good about the running backs, though, too, by the way. I think I do too. I think Travis man. and DJ, it's so weird. And I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of them for this, but it's just like Rashad mentioned it the other day, and it does seem to be true. He talked about how DJ Dallas looks better. And it was like, yeah, uh, DJ kind of remembered how how big he is and strong he is. And like, he's going through guys instead of trying to go around them. It's like, and Rashad said something similar about himself last year. He's like, yeah, sometimes I forget I'm 236. I'm just like, man, how you forget that? You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you. How you forget that, that yeah. you're that big and that strong. It's like it, I, Chad Morton has the running backs coach has drilled it into these guys. Like he's shown Chris Carson's. It's almost like he's dead now. They're like showing highlights of him and like packages like this is how Seahawks football was run back when men were men. Uh, look how Chris ran, <laughs> um, you know, it, but he did. Chad really did put together cut ups and show those guys like this is the standard. This is how you run the football. And that's what, you know, Chris put his shoulder in the guys now chris did some hurdling too um that you should not do um but like he he ran through guys and travis seems to have figured that out travis who has the biggest biceps on the team pound for pound uh, i i swear dude's built like a tank uh and then dj dallas he's a bigger running back and then rashad they all just kind of remembered hey if i put my shoulder down dbs don't want no smoke with that you know a- after some time yeah. so i think that now that that's kind of clicked for all of them they can give it to any of those guys. Because last year, I was like, if you're not handing it to Rashad or Chris, you're screwed. Now, I kind of feel like on early downs, a first and 10 mid-zone run with Travis Homer, I'm like, okay with that. You know, because Travis just kind of learned, like, I need to start going through some motherfuckers. Like, that's that's the name of this. No one wants, it's like that Marshawn quote. No one wants to feel that over and over and over and over. and over. You know, like, that. that's real. And it feels like the whole running back room, maybe in tribute to Chris, has realized that's the way to get it done. I love that. I love the thought of that. Uh, and since we're on the subject, I know it's been limited glimpses because uh, the nature of the offseason and, and the injury and all that. But what have you seen from Ken Walker? Because to me, that's a guy who's got it. Yeah. I do. Oh, man. I really want him to get healthy because he would have been I, – I wouldn't bet on him now. Again, hashtag never gamble. But he would have been a sleeper right. pick for me for offensive rookie of the year. Um, even in a backfield with Rashad, I just think he – he does really well what th- this offense acts for him. Because, like, with Rashad, when uh, Rashad got drafted in um, Brian Schottenheimer's first year, they went to a lot of shotgun uh, runs that year. They ran a lot of stuff just with the running back right next to the, the quarterback. Whereas in college, at San Diego State, Rashad was used to running with a fullback or at a eye for, you know, like, uh, under center stuff, and he could kind of read the blocks a little better, get a running start. It's just a different feel. Um, so he, it took some um, getting used to. And whereas you look at Ken, no, no, no. This is how Michigan State ran the football. It was turn them shoulders, get the ball, read the backside, cut, and go to the end zone. 
Um, and the difference between Rashad and Ken and even Chris Carson, they all they both have home run speed. Whereas Chris Carson does not. Like Chris Carson got caught from behind right. quite a bit. Um, I think his two longest runs are like sixty something yards, and he didn't score on either one. Um, it, it, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was. You know, he he was the running back equivalent of a of a post player. Right. He gonna get you those points close to the basket, even out to the mid range. Right. But but you know, he he didn't have the Dame Lillard range that Rashad Penny does. Yeah. Where you know, I mean, and and Ken Walker's that same way. I mean, you don't. You don't even got. You don't even have to watch a highlight reel of Ken Walker. You just throw on a game, and it's not long before you see him turn that little sliver of daylight into a big, big gain. And then if you don't got the angle on him, you're, you're done. And so I think Pete's approach to running the football gets unfairly um, kind of hemmed in as, oh, we just want to plot along three yards in a cloud of dust. Now, I mean, Pete Carroll wants explosive plays in the run game, and I think there was just a time. Uh, especially when when both Carson and Penny were hurt, that it just there weren't guys who could do that. And now I think to your point, there's a lot of guys who can do that. So I do think we're going to see a lot of explosive plays. And I, I mean, that's all Rashad Penny was doing in December last year too. Yeah, now Rashad he has home run speed. I think that's a. I was talking to somebody after they drafted Ken. And it was like, no, this guy can he can score from anywhere on the field, and that's just unique for a running back. You know, it's kind of like a young like young Saquon or like young Christian McCaffrey, like those dudes could take for your real. first play from scrimmage could be a touchdown if you handed it to them. Yes. Um, and I think that's, yes, that that's unique and hard to find. I don't think they're just going to have a bunch of 80 yard touchdown runs this year, but like it's, it's doable um, in that way. Ken is probably their fastest running back. I, I would say like, I don't know, 40 times it kind of get irrelevant to me once guys start getting hurt and blow their knees out and shit. No one's as fast as they were for those that day at the combine. Um, but like, I just think Ken, Ken has that, that speed, man. I do think I, I, I thought the, I didn't like the Ken pick and just in terms of the value, I think at the time they needed a corner and another tackle. So I was just like, eh, that's a luxury pick. You couldn't afford. They got lucky with Tariq Cody and, or Kobe and Abe later, but just as a player, Abe's great, or excuse me, Ken's great. I think their, their class, that 2022 class down the road can be very, very, very special. It can probably be there. Let's see. There's, I think it could be their second best class. Nothing's probably going to top wow. 2012, uh, but like it could be, it could, it could be 20, it could be 2010 ish. Damn. It could be 2010, 2010, because 2010 yeah. had some dogs in it. Um, oh yeah. And and this is, and I mean to man, your I'm point, talking, the the 2012 draft. If, if you look at at VAR value above replacement, it's just you know it's it's uh for those listening who aren't familiar it's a career metric on how much value towards wins you're adding to your team the seahawks 2012 draft is like has like 3x the var of the next best draft of all time yeah, it has two, <laughs> you know, it has like, two hall of famers in it on day two like that's that's pretty tough like that's right and even 2010 though has okun cam and golden tate on top of having earl so like I right. I know what I'm saying when I say that like uh, it's yeah that that draft had two Ring of Honor guys and then Golden, this 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 could be like Charles has potential to to be a long term guy, and either Kobe or Tariq does I think there's some guys in the building who think like like yo you give you give Tariq Willen Pete Carroll as his coach for his career. And that boy will figure that he'll he'll figure it out. He had some sloppy plays at at UTSA, but boy, he's he looks a lot more polished 
um, now that Pete Carroll and Carl Scott had his hands on. He had a great camp, man. I mean, every day y'all had something to say about Tariq Woolen breaking up passes against DK Metcalf and shutting down parts of the field and all that. I mean, he, he was one of those guys where there was a drum beat, both him and Kobe all, all camp long. Yeah. The deep, the DBs in general, were just kicking the offense's ass <laughs> on a few, few occasions, man. Uh-huh. I remember talking to one offensive coach after practice. He was like, yeah, nah, man, got our ass kicked again. <laughs> <laughs> he knew why it was just like, nah, man, like our DBs are, he was like he was like they're good like they're really good he was like that's great like, we can't he said we can't even get a deep ball over Sidney Jones um which is a little, right? little, little troubling for the offense you know Sidney's great but he's sure yeah, he's not Jalen Ramsey yeah. right like you yeah. should be able to get at least right. one on him but that shows how good they were man Kobe went like two weeks without giving up a pass or something like that that's over his crazy, head man. it was it was it was it was really really impressive man and the good thing about Tariq is um very similar with Shaquille in 2017 everyone is invested to see him doing well like, I was at practice on Monday. I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. And the last three people, last four people off the field were um, Nico Thorpe, Richard Sherman, Tariq Willen, and Deshaun Shedd. And they were all working with, like, Tariq. Like, that, there's a lot invested in making sure this kid has it. And that it, you just couldn't ask for a better situation for, for that particular type of play look at those guys like nico was never like a stalwart on defense but he played a long time uh, in this league he's been winning against a lot of good players deshaun shed uh, was a captain you know and played every position and i mean Sherm, everyone like come on everyone you mentioned played big yeah you know what i mean yeah like that's Tariq is just getting a crash course and like dude when people are invested in you being good it's like the opposite of like rg3 went through in washington where it's like no one was really invested in him being a great quarterback other than him and it just it showed in the organization's support of him. And whereas like nah, Tariq is set up to to do well. Like he has got he's gotta go perform, but he's he he's got it. His technique and everything looks so much cleaner. He looks so much more comfortable. Um like you could just see it in the mock game. In the mock game, it was like, Oh, thirty nine ain't scared of shit. <laughs> go ahead, keep throwing it at him and see, see what happens. So uh yeah, I think he's and he played receiver too, so when he gets tested as a receiver because uh, they're going to throw at him. Russell probably throw his first pass at Tariq. Tariq can catch. So Godspeed for the quarterbacks who <laughs> keep trying him, thinking he'll mess up. Yeah. 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 That's going to be really exciting to watch. That's what I'm talking about with this season. Like, that's the stuff that I'm going to be looking for. Like, the wins are going to be great when they come along. But for me, it's going to be less about living and dying with each Sunday performance and more about, like, okay, what are we seeing? You know, who is developing? Who's going to be here when this team really is competitive again? So I I appreciate your insight into those players because those are going to be things for us to watch this year. But before we get out of here, we do want to get some predictions from you on the season. Mike, you got those on you? Yeah, I just got a a few little tidbits to throw your guys away. I want to hear what you guys have to say because I'm looking to revisit this in T-minus 18 weeks to roast Jackson uh, intensely. So <laughs> need to need to get this on paper now. So let's start it out um, zooming in on the Seahawks. Vegas has them at five and a half wins. Are you guys taking the over or the under? I got the over on that. I got them on six and 11. Six feels like the number for me. I, I actually put money behind this one. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the two most likely outcomes for them are six wins or seven wins so i will take the over on five the math on six just makes sense to me just 
is you, you go two and four in the division. Doesn't really matter against who. You know, division games can be a crapshoot. And then you beat the Falcons, Giants, Jets, and Lions. That's all very all, doable. Yeah, none of, nobody will be surprised if that's exactly what it happens. They're going to lose one of those games, and it's going to be really bad. And then they're going to beat one good team. That's exactly yes. what I was going to say. You know, they're going to lay an egg against a <laughs> shitty team, and then they're going to they're going to jump up and beat the chargers or something yeah you know? they're gonna score nowhere. six points against detroit and it's gonna be three safeties yes. yeah. yeah and then you, they'll beat the saints the there. next week yes yeah exactly exactly all right mike what else you got for us as a whole the seattle seahawks quarterbacks 19 and a half touchdown passes are you taking the over or the under collectively Ooh, that's a fun it's a good number hold on what has gino ever done in a full season let me see. Mike, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take the over on that one too, but I think 19 and a half is is a great number. Gino uh, maxed out with 13 touchdowns and 13 picks in 2014. Uh, How many games did he play? 14. 14, I think. I think he got he got Ooh. benched for Michael Vick twice. I want to say that that season I went back and revisited some of Gino's jet stuff recently just cuz I thought I wanted to see how instructive his Jets years were and kind of predict how he'll play this year. And they weren't at all totally different offense, totally different player, totally different mindset. He uses athleticism differently. It was just totally different. Uh, but I would, I'll take the, I think I'll take the, the over on that as well. Barely though. I think he'll like just hit 20. Yeah. And here's, here's where I'm coming from. Like, all right. So Gino, let's say he's historically a one passing touchdown per game guy. Right. But a lot of that is, with the Jets, which is very, very different level of receivers than he has now. And also, there were just fewer passing touchdowns back then by a lot. Yeah. I mean, in the last 10 years, the number of passing touchdowns per NFL game has gone up considerably. Um, there's just more plays. Passing is more efficient. Receivers are better. Uh, and and he's, he's, just, he's just got a touchdown maker in, in both DK and Tyler Lockett. I mean, there, there is a – touchdowns aren't sticky – for most players, they're sticky for those two guys. So uh, I, I think he gets to 20 and 17. Get, well, between the two of them, right? You're saying collectively, yep. Mike, between the quarterbacks as yeah. a whole, I think Seattle throws 20 touchdown passes. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. I think you, you could probably get – man, I would probably see about eight apiece between DK and Tyler. I could see it. And then you just got to find anything else. Noah Fant, DJ Dallas. Noah Fant's going to yeah, get in that's... there. Will Disley's going to get forgotten about. On a play, it's yeah, gonna I think you get, I think you get right to twenty. After that, you're getting the, you're getting kind of tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's money? Man, you after guys that are, you sure. guys are pretty low on the team. I figured Travis Homer would have twenty by himself. Damn. <laughs> oh my. So, God. all right. So on the flip side, interceptions. Collectively, the quarterbacks on the team, fourteen and a half over or under. How many games is Drew playing? That's for you to decide, and that's for that's, you to interpret how conservative the offense is if they even get the opportunity to throw the ball at all. Because if Drew's playing six games or more, I'm taking the over on that. But I, I do think that one thing Gino is going to do almost to a fault this year is protect the football. If Gino starts 13, 14 games, I'm, I'll take the – oof, God, that's another good number. Yeah, that, these, I don't know. These, Mike, these, are, are, these are really good. Because um, Gino, like I said, his Jets stuff was not very he – he, he looked so much more like Drew Locke. Gino did in his first two years. He was just slinging that. He wasn't even slinging it to guys who were that great <laughs> with the Jets. Well, so look at what he was doing in West Virginia. He was like rewriting record books at West Virginia. Yeah, he was, and he just kept it going with the Jets. He was like, "I'm just gonna throw this thing." Uh, whereas now he, you could see like he has associated his 
backup status with protecting the ball. And he's kind of overcorrected in that way. He's like, the way I can stay employed now is to not make mistakes, um, which is like it's survival, right? That makes sense, actually. I don't know. He's never said that to me, but it makes sense when you watch him play and listen to him speak. So, yeah, I, I think he'll hit under under that because, yeah, I think I've, I've had some people on the staff tell me it's like, no, the next step for Gino, and I wrote about this a little bit, is like, no, dude, you have been around for 10 years. Throw that shit. You see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust yeah, it. Trust, trust it, it and let it rip, and we'll live with those uh, decisions. Um, but right now he's conservative to a fault. Yeah, I think he'll he'll probably get, I say, right at 13. So I, I think he'll probably have like a 20 touchdown, probably 12 or 13 pick season, which isn't great but oh you got to be thrilled with that if that's the outcome oh yeah 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 for sure i think it's possible here's the thing more i think about it i'm i'm taking the over i'm just looking at the defenses they're playing they there's just going to be so much chaos and i think there's going to be a lot of situations where they're having to throw the ball late in the game and the defenses are going to know it. i'm, I'm going to take the over mike all right all right who has the third most receiving yards on the seahawks in 2022 oh that's a good one i'll take noah yep same same answer. I, I, I think I think the uh, the third receiver is so overrated. Um, I want to do like a I, I need to like see if somebody at the athletic can help me out. Maybe Mike Sando or I don't know. Just I want to find like the average season for a team's third wide receiver. I feel like it's way less than people think. It's probably like twenty seven catches way or less. something like that, and like three hundred freaking yards. It's probably not. It's probably whatever David Moore had his last year. It's, it's probably just that. And I almost feel like maybe Derek Young is the sleeper for this because he he kind of more closely fits that, you know, stretch the field, David Moore, Chris Matthews, Jaron Brown type of thing where you're not going to get a lot of targets, but they're going to be high variance targets when you when you do. Um, I think I think the best case scenario, the best case answer to this question is D. Eskridge stays healthy and is meaningful and can get 500 to 600 receiving yards. Of, you know, I. Am I betting on that? I am not. But I, I do think the best case scenario is that Eskridge shows that he's an NFL level weapon and, and can, you know, get to that five, six hundred yard mark. But uh my money's on Noah. The D gets compared to Creed Humphrey Creed Humphrey a lot around here, which is fine. Um I had no problem with them taking a receiver. It just with with in my mind, not taking Amon Ross St. Brown is probably gonna be one of those that really comes back to bite them. Cause I think that kid's a stud. He went to freaking USC. So I'm sure Pete heard about him when the kid committed, uh, and so to not to any fits what they needed. Boy, he put it on Seattle too. Oh, he put it yeah. on Seattle last and he, year. Yeah. So I, yeah. Just, just an aside. I hope D's. You're right. D should be the guy. But yeah, I think we're. I think we're a little too caught up on Creed in that comparison, where it's like, nah, man, I'm on Raw was the guy That's to take. That's a good point. He was the guy that yeah. he fit exactly what they needed. He was a guy yes. they liked. He was familiar with. And they just didn't—they didn't take him. They overthought that. And boy, that—that that kid is going to be a stud um, in Detroit. I think. No question. No question about it. All right. Who is the 2022 Seahawks MVP that's still on a rookie contract? Another fun one. That is a fun one. Who do I got here? Daryl Taylor's still on his rookie contract. Yeah. Yes, yes he's, DT he's in play. Yes. I'm going to say Jordan Brooks, and DT is my second. I'll I'll roll with with DT. I think he's uh, he he's he's given me these vibes since he got here, man. He 
I just see so much young Frank Clark in him, man. Yeah, yeah, I've said the same thing a lot, and I know you really like him. Yeah, he's he's just he's just a freak athlete. I don't know if I'll publish it now because we have more pressing business, but I've been going around. You guys can probably tell by some of the press conferences. I've been asking everybody on the team who's the best athlete, pound for pound, and I have to tally up the answers, but DT might win over DK, just, just in terms of the votes. Wow. I have to go look again, but DT is just a freak athlete, man. He is so strong. And so just like Frank, Frank was so, Frank was very freaking strong, man. Like he could just go through Tyron Smith of the Cowboys with just one arm, man. Like Colton Miller makes eighteen million a year playing left tackle for the Raiders, and Frank whooped his ass in London, just up and down <laughs> that field in, in in England. It was brutal. Uh, like, and it, Frank can do that. And so yeah. Anyway, I think DT DT is like, uh, I think he's the only guy on a rookie deal that they have, not the only guy. But like he'll, if someone makes a Pro Bowl on a rookie deal, it'll be it'll be him. He'll be first. Okay. Uh, where does Russell Wilson finish in the MVP race? The over under. Let's set it at three and a half. Yeah. So Mike, you're basically asking us: Is Russell Wilson finishing top three MVP voting, or sure. yes or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Not even close. I'm going to say no, and I think here's what's going to happen. I think we're going to see a bit of what we saw in 2019, 2020. I think he's coming out hot. I think with the new weapons, with the new vibes, and the good weather, and the thin air, he is going to have a really, really good September and October. And I think when it comes to crunch time, winning in cold games against division opponents, he's going to be fine but not MVP level. You're going to see Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, hell, maybe even Aaron Rodgers again with no receivers, do the things late in the season that Russ is not going to do. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's top five. Yeah, I I, I would be. I think there's just going to be too many growing pains um, because I lean towards – I see why Pete was like, you know what I'm not going to do, man? Die by this let Russ cook thing. I'll die by my philosophy, but I ain't going to die with you throwing it all over the yard. Like, I just, you, you're you not getting that control. You guys see that quote? from It's from an anonymous source. I think we can all figure out who that is, close to Russell. Like, yeah, Coach Hackett and Russ aren't coach, coach and player. They're partners. Fuck out of here with that. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous precedent. <laughs> that was my exact, I'm so glad you brought that up. That was my first thought, too, man. Absolutely. Like, you, you start blurring those lines. And you got a problem. You have a big, yes, big, sir. big problem. So I think that is gonna. And then Hackett's a first-year coach too. So, but he has no leverage because they just gave this. They Russ is probably on a longer deal than Hackett now. I don't know what Hackett got signed to. Yeah. Um, ownership is new to both of them, so it's not like Hackett's cozy with the new owner. Like there's just no leverage there. Hackett has so like if Russ gets the demand and shit and changing plays and just wanting to do his ball, Hackett has no. He can't walk in there and show his USC championship trophy or his, his Lombardi, right? He can just show Aaron Rodgers' MVP plaque on Zoom because it's in Aaron's house. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they're going to have some growing pains that are just coming when you kind of you give Russ too much power. Whereas I think I still would have chosen Russ over Pete to stay here. If you just give Russ the keys to everything, that's da- that's dangerous to do because, like, I think I saw a lineman from the, the Detroit – or, excuse me, from Denver was like, yeah, you know – there's not going to be any of that like trip spinning in the backfield or whatever, or 
uh, I think even one of the linemen, I think it was Cor- one of the receivers, Cortland Sutton, just said recently, he was like, yeah, there's two plays, the one we call and then the one Russ makes after that. And I'm like, guys, yep. that is not a good thing. That's not what you want. I know that no. sounds good right now, but – yeah, I mean, maybe like 2014, 2015, Russ, when he was scooting still. But even then, you're right. It's a it's a dangerous way to play. And I could, I mean, the the thing with Russ and, you know, the, you've talked about this a um, number of times. I know when we got a chance to hang out before the Seahawks game last year, we talked about it. You talked about it on the show a little bit. Uh, it was a theme in Brady Henderson's article. Russ is legacy obsessed. Like that, that is the most important thing to Russ is winning, but winning because of Russ, like that matters so much. His place in the game, his place in history uh, means so much. And, and there's going to be times where that creates greatness, but there's going to be times where you just need him to do what he's supposed to do instead of that. Yep. 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 Godspeed Hackett, man. I hope they hope he does well, but <laughs> I just think that when, once you start seeing your quarterback as your partner, that's tough. It's tough. All right, so then stake your claim. Who's the MVP this year of the whole league? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably roll with Josh Allen. Yeah, I think I, – I, I do think – this is way too deep of thinking it, but I, I think when, the, when a tall, big-armed white guy is good, there's just an just a infatuation with him in the media that is – it's the prototype, yeah, it's, man. It's different. You could even see it with some of the Joe Burrow coverage during the Super Bowl run, man. It was like his boy was getting crowned for just like he was good last year, but you would think he was Joe freaking Montana, not Joe Burrow last year. And, you, and yeah, it's the prototype. When people just fall in love with that, the Herbert love is very similar. Like it's, uh, it. I just think when you talk about voting and winning an award and getting people to think you're the best, yeah. Josh, Josh is going to have that. He's also on the best team in the league. Oh, my God. They're going to vaporize some people. They're, the Bills are going to go on like a five- or six-game stretch at some point this year where they outscore their opponents by 100 points. Like, they're, they're going to be bodying people, especially in that division. And, and I think that's where Josh Allen probably, you know, they're going to go on a run like that in November, early December, uh, and, and kind of cement it for him. I, have, I actually have money on three people to win MVP. Josh Allen is one of them. Justin Herbert's the other. I think he's kind of, you know, I feel like a lot of voters tend to to go with the the ascending player, unless unless you're Aaron Rodgers and you just mushroom stamp the thing, right? And you throw 50 touchdowns against four interceptions and win 13 games. It's like, okay, okay, okay. But I, I think Herbert, I think the Chargers are a Super Bowl contender this year. I think they win the division and beating the Chiefs for the first time Ooh, that's you know, a spicy. in a decade. You know, if, if the Chargers do what I think they're going to do and win that division and unseat the Chiefs, who have been unassailable in that position for five years, I, I could see that getting it for Herbert. But my sleeper, maybe it's not a deep sleeper, but I think the biggest payout, I think angry Lamar Jackson is is going to go nuts. I mean, he's representing yes. himself, trying to get a deal. The team's not giving it to him. He... I think he's going nuclear this year. Yeah, I think Lamar's getting getting slept on, man. I think the the insistence that anyone's figured out Lamar, Godspeed, Godspeed <laughs> to you guys. Yeah, man. Tell, check check back with me around Halloween. Tell me how that's going. Yeah. All right. Last question. Last prediction. Who's in the Super Bowl and who wins? Uh, I have no idea who's going to win the NFC. Uh, I'm pretty confident the Bills should win the AFC. 
after that, it's it's tough. Isn't it kind of a shame that the year that Seattle doesn't have the quarterback, the NFC is like more wide open than it's ever yeah, been? Yeah, like that, it is there for the taking, man. Uh, I I'll, I think I'll say, you know what's crazy is I lean I lean towards the the Packers even without Devontae. Um, I'll let's see. I'll go. Yeah, you know I'll go I'll go I'll go Packers. Okay, Bills Packers. I got I got Bills Eagles. I'm high on the Eagles. However, I do think that everywhere Jalen Hurts has been, there has been a ceiling on how good the passing offense can be. Um, yes, and that scares me. Like, yeah, I think me. here's the thing. You know, that, that's the first thing we think of, and and with good reason is okay. We're talking about a team going to or winning a Super Bowl. Do we see their quarterback as Super Bowl caliber? And I don't necessarily think Jalen Hurts is there I, on his own. Like, I don't think he's carrying them to a Super Bowl. I think he's good enough to go out and win a couple of games when you need a quarterback to win a couple of games because he's so dynamic. I think, I think A.J. Brown changes everything for them. And I also think if you go position group by position group, Philly's in the top eight. Oh, I think they're everywhere. very good. I think they probably have one of the best O-lines in football, too. Um, Absolutely, and that defense got mean this offseason. Yeah, I need to see their defense like come to life a little bit more. Plus, that division sucks, man. <laughs> they could win 12, 13 games, and they could get the bye. Yeah, no, so I, yeah, I, I, I do like the Eagles to win the division for sure. I just think that when you get to the playoffs, if there's a ceiling on where your passing offense can go, that that can get yes. dicey. And the cornerbacks get very cornerbacks and DBs get very good the deeper you go. In the playoffs, like you think Packers, think Saints, uh, Bucks, Rams. Boy, if you can't throw the ball against them four teams, you will get eaten alive in the postseason. It's funny we're not even talking about the Rams, which are basically just like running it back after winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I, they're not even my. You know, honestly, if I had to, if I had to go two other teams, right? You say, okay, you can't have the Bills, you can't have the Eagles, and I mean, look, I'm on the island with the Eagles, whatever. Uh, I got Chargers and Bucks. I think are are the next two teams. I, I I'm scared of the Chargers just because I feel like the Chargers are they're not the same as the Mariners. I think the Mariners comp is more like the Lions. But uh, boy, I just feel like they got that D Chargers DNA. I get yeah, it. Yeah, the Chargers are gonna like have like a top five defense and a top five offense, and then like the worst special teams in the <laughs> league or some shit like that. Where like sure. it's not sure. even their kicking game. Like they just can't find a punt returner who can catch. Right. So they fumble the ball. Like honestly, man, this this season's crazy because now now I'm thinking about it. I keep thinking about Baltimore and like that defense being fully healthy and Lamar being pissed off and and trying to get that deal. And you mentioned special teams and I'm just like Justin Tucker might be one of the, like the 50 most valuable players in the league. Like you got to make kicks to win in the playoffs. And the guy's just automatic. It's wide open, man. This is going to be a fun. Yeah, season. I think, I think Lamar is like, uh, I'm like an Lamar, Lamar truther. I basically come to guys aid when I feel like they're getting disrespected. Like not even that they think they're super great. Like Jamal Adams. I'm a Jamal Adams truther now. Um, like just because I feel like he, Welcome he doesn't aboard. get it. He doesn't, doesn't get enough credit, man. That guy is very, very good. Like, he freelances a bit, kind of early Earl Thomas esque. You hear that out there? Yeah. You hear that? But Michael Sean Dugar is in the building every day. He is telling you Jamal Adams is a good football he player. Very, he's very good. There's just sometimes he just gets over aggressive and like sees something and leaves someone out to dry and stuff like that. But he can. He, he's a very good 
very good football player. And yeah, him and Lamar, man, I just think there's a few guys too, but like Lamar, you get people on TV saying he can't read a defense. I'm like, come on, man. Like, what's going on here? Nah, like, you don't figure out Lamar Jackson. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I-, I like the Ravens pick too. All right, man. Well, Mike, listen, I know that this is when it gets really crazy for you. So we really do appreciate you carving out the time to wrap with us. Uh, before we let you get out of here, you want to let the people know where they can get more of you? Yes. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Um, that's where you can just find the latest episode of our Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. We're having a live Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast at the Roanoke Bar um, in Seattle, kind of like South Cap Hill or North Cap Hill. Either way, so we got the address on the flyer. Um, the Roanoke in Seattle, we're live. Me and Chris will be live at 7 o'clock September 9th. Um, Hell yeah. So uh, I just want to plug that more than anything, man. It's our first time doing a live show. Um, it's free. Just come on out, have a drink. Relax, man. We just uh it's gonna be gonna be a good time, man. Just gonna kick the season off right with a live show. You're gonna kill it, man. It's gonna be great. And and I can certainly attest that I am a better football fan for knowing you. So thank you again for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you it. for having me, man. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when you're spelling Jackson. Mike is that at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is that at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawk Cigar Thoughts. And of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. We are, as always, extremely blessed to have you guys listening, having you interacting with us on Twitter, sharing the show, leaving us those reviews. It means the world to us. It's the reason we can keep doing this. So we'll be back soon. Until then, onwards and upwards, my friends. <laughs>